All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Monday. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I sure did. I'm fresh off a of vacay fresh off of a vacation at the beach and feeling so good. I'm excited for today's episode. I have Haley Conroy. Haley and I connected on Instagram. She's a bookstagrammer. Well, she's also a lawyer, but she's a bookstagrammer. And you know that bookstagrammers are near and dear to my heart because of my best friend, Katie. And I don't know if I even realized that Haley was sober. And it's funny because I had been following her and then she reached out to me and she heard a real sober mom episode and she was like, oh my God, I I am sober. I'm not a fraud. 
And I love that because I totally understood. We assume sobriety is just, you know, for the rock bottom, Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas, Meg Ryan in When a Man Loves a Woman type. And um, it's not. Haley is sober, even though she hadn't been drunk in a decade, but she hated her relationship with alcohol. And she had the two glass habit that so many women and moms have. And we've been taught like, yeah, just don't look at it. It's fine. Even the medical community will say, yeah, whatever. It wasn't fine for Haley. And only she knew that. Only she could say that. And yeah, she just shares her story so beautifully. Just a warning. There is some talk about loss. Her twins were born at 23 weeks and um, she did experience some loss. So I just want to give a heads up to that in case anyone is going through uh, fertility or is pregnant, maybe, you know, listen with care. And I know that you will enjoy this episode. I absolutely Dora Haley and and her honesty and vulnerability is going to help so many, so many women. Hey, speaking of honesty and vulnerability, come and join us in the cafe. Or if you're not ready for all of the Zoom meetings and the support that the cafe provides, come and join us in the new Sober Mom Life community. So the cafe is $25 a month, but you get so much. You get your own chat, your feed. I think we're up to eight Zoom meetings a week, book club, all of that. A chance to go on the retreat, merchandise discount, a chance to come on here and share your story in the Real Sober Mom chats. But if you are either maybe just sober curious, not quite there yet, or if you have some years under your belt and you don't need that constant support, come and join the community because what you need is community. It's $5.95 a month. You get your own chat. You get your own feed. You do get access to the Tuesday meeting, the peer support meeting, and we just opened up book club to you too. And so community makes all the difference. I think in sobriety, you need to be connected to women who understand you and who are going through the same thing you are. And that's what we have here without judgment, without shame. We help you work through all of it. Come and join us. It's linked in the show notes and enjoy this episode with Haley. Haley, welcome to the Sober Mom Life. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Okay. I feel like I am in such a safe space with you. You're a bookstagrammer on yes. Instagram. And my best friend in the whole world is a librarian. She's also a bookstagrammer. Katie? Ka- yes. I listened to the episode. Yes. Yeah. Katie. She's yeah. the mindful librarian on Instagram. And I love books. Like, it's my safe space. And so when I – like, I feel like we've been following each other for a while, right? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Think, like, since I became sober and found you, so, like, seven months. Okay. And and I don't even think I knew you were sober. I just started following – I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, bookstagram. It's a book blogger. <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. It's the best community. They're so nice. Right? And they're just – so kind and laid back. Yeah. And so then when I saw you and I was like, oh my God, yes, bookstagram. I love it. And your pretty pictures. And then, yeah, you were like, uh-huh. yeah, I'm sober. And you said that your story was kind of like mine, right? In like not mm-hmm. the rock bottom situation. So tell me. No. Yeah. Tell me that. Yes. 
I was like a very much a rule follower, like a good Catholic schoolgirl. I made good grades. I wanted to play by the rules, do everything right. And I remember having a sleepover with my friend and we were talking about how we could never be friends with somebody who drank alcohol because I was just so wrong. And like, we couldn't do that. And then a few months later, um, my parents <laughs> sent me on a... <laughs> Wait, was it really just a few months? You're like, and then it like was... five minutes later. <laughs> yes, and then like, oh. Like, actually, yeah. this actually really does sound like a good idea. We had no was... idea what we were talking about five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly like that. Yes. <laughs> so my parents sent me on a foreign exchange, like a student foreign exchange trip to Spain. Mm. And I never left the country. Like, we're, you know, normal middle class. And so it was like these 70 students from all over the world. And it was amazing. Like, we do... Um, Spanish classes in the morning and then in the afternoons we go on excursions around southern Spain and we like see castles and oh, it was incredible. Wait, but how old were you? 16. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But the thing about Spain is in the 90s, in the late 90s, the drinking age was 16. Okay. How old are you now? I'm 40. Okay. You're 40. Okay. So I'm 43 and I went to France when I was 16 and it was the same thing. Yes. And we would like uh-huh. discotheque and like drink. Yes. 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 I still went in. I was like, no, I don't drink. That's wrong for a few days. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then they're really two days. Yeah. And then the adults of the school, they like hosted fiestas every Friday night where there'd be an open bar. They'd have these wow. barrels of sangria and we'd be like, 16-year-olds, like, go ahead, do your thing. And and, and I was like, all right, the grown-ups are saying, like, it's cool, it's legal, I'm not breaking the rules, so it must be fine. So wow. I started drinking, and that was my first, like, binge drinking, my first hangover, like, and I remember writing in my diary, like, like, I've sinned. I'll never do this again. That was wrong. And like the very next night, I was just drinking again. Um, Because it was just fun. Wait, how long were you there? How long were you in Spain? Like a little over a month. Okay. And you were kind of like, then you were just like all about it. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is what you do. Like the Spanish just know what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> Stupid Americans. Like you said it at 21. Yes. It's very confusing like when adults sign off on something, right? Yes. And so like literally when you're 16, when you're little, you just think adults know what they're doing and like make right decisions all the time. And so if adults are signing off on something, it's very, yeah, then it's like, okay, green light. Cool. Yeah. So it's very confusing. I got back. And I was like, well, I'm just going to keep drinking. Like, I'm not going to quit. I kind of started hanging with a new group of friends that like to drink on the weekends and like to party. And we'd go, you know, we do the keg parties at people's houses or at people's ranches because this is Texas. So a lot of people had like, they'd have land and we'd go out to a field and everyone would be playing like, all the guys would be playing guitar and we'd be singing American Pie in a circle. And it was... It's like exactly what you would think. It's like so on the nose. Yeah. That led to some like serious, I don't know. Well, I didn't put together that that probably led to my depression, but um, I started experiencing like some serious, serious depression around that time. Um, And, you know, alcohol is a depressant. So I guess it's not 
too surprising, teenage hormones and I became really depressed. And so my parents put me on like antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds. I was taking those, but the weeks, it just got really dark mm. like for years. And I had this double life where I would be so depressed most of the time during the week. And on the weekends, that's kind of when I first started using alcohol to treat my emotions. I would pretend to be fun, Haley, happy Haley, and escape that darkness. And like, it was the only time I could like not feel that overwhelming depression. So I totally had this whole double life thing going for a while. And did your parents like know about the drinking or was it just kind of like par for the course? Like that's kind of what the high school kids do. They kind of knew. So what I had always grown up with too from my parents was I'm Irish. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic. It was sort of like the genetic curse. I felt my parents were always like, you know, your grandfather was an alcoholic. You gotta, you gotta be careful. You can't drink too much. Like right. there's this sort of like genetic boogeyman on my shoulder. Like it's always there. It may come out. I have to watch it. Which is very confusing, right? Like right. you're like, okay, don't drink too much, but what is that? Right? Like, I don't know. Right. What, like, drink responsibly. Right. Like drink, <laughs> drink this really like dangerous thing, respond, which we know so much more than than they did in the 90s. And so that's really scary and, yeah, confusing. It got really, yeah. So my teens were like a really dark time. I didn't come out of that until like my 20s. And I just got things back on track. I went to the community college. I got my grades up. I went back to like the perfect grade A perfectionist mentality. And How do you think that you like came out of it? Like, do you, looking back, do you see what happened or? You know, it's funny because I like, I did quit drinking for a while. Really? <laughs> when I was 20, yeah. I got on a good antidepressant and anti-anxiety med that worked for a while, Selexin, Wellbutrin. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, I did kind of quit drinking for a while and I was just working a lot, made at restaurants, made a new group of friends started going to the community college, but I had like totally torched my life before that and started going to the community college. And I told my mom, I was like, I think I want to go to like UT Austin, which is like, you got to be in the top 10% of your high school to get in. I was like, I want to go there. And then I want to like go to law school. And my mom's like, like, let's just like calm down a little, maybe just stay at the community college and figure it out. I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm so interested in this. When you said you torched your life, like what does that look like? Like I just barely graduated from high school. Like just like I was so depressed I could barely get out of bed. Like it was serious clinical depression. Yeah. Okay. And so then kind of everything just fell fell off. And then do you think like you wanting to go to UT Austin was like, okay, I need – like, I need to get out of this place. Like, I want to strive for something bigger, better. Was it that? I think it was just, like I said, being on the right, like, sort of combo of antidepressant, anti-anxiety, maybe cutting the drinking out, and just being like, you know what, I know I can do this, and just having that confidence and working my way out. It took a while. But yeah, I did. I got into UT. Wow. It was great. Like in my teens, drinking was to escape depression. In my 20s, it was so much fun. Like I 
wasn't depressed anymore. I was in this good space. I was making great grades. I was happy. I had my group of friends. We go out to the bars. And I don't know if you know this about Austin, but it's like a big drinking town. And I know you're going to laugh because everybody comes on here and says, you don't know this about my city, but it's a big drinking you're town. You're like, no, but Austin, I'm telling you, it it, it drinks more than, and I, I hate yeah. to tell you this. You guys, I think it's we're all the drinking towns. Like yeah. we are the drinking, I mean, world. <laughs> so Austin. So yeah, Austin. So I don't know if you've heard of Sixth Street, but it's basically this long one-way street. They close it down every Friday and Saturday night. Oh, just wow. lined with bars and drunken co-eds just stumble around between bars. And I, I don't know, maybe they did it that way so that they didn't get hit by cars. But then there's bars all surrounding that, like 5th Street, 4th Street, 1st Street. It's just this huge scene of all these bars and live music. And so my friends and I, we would go to the bars. Like I had a friend who worked at this one bar and would hook us up with the free shots early in the night. So we drink and then we bar hop and then I do my great dancing moves out on the dance floor. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, I've got those. I don't too. think I was yes. very good. No, when you're like, I'm the best dancer in the entire world right now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know. But it was it was fun and like I probably overdrank some of the time. Like I didn't drink and drive. We'd have someone who would be the driver, and it wasn't a nightly thing. It wasn't all week long. It didn't take up space in my head. I didn't think about it really. It was a social thing. So then I started applying to law schools and I went to go and tour the law schools that I got accepted at. And I went to this one, it was a great law school and I was touring and the guy was telling me like, yeah, you know, we do law school softball where you get pitchers of beer and you drink before the game and then you go out and play and then you drink pitchers afterwards. And then you do a Friday happy hour in the law school atrium where everybody's drinking. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. That's funny. Okay. So then you heard this and you were like, well, obviously I'm find like, me. I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. This sounds amazing. So I'm Illinois and I'm like, I'm yes. Like I thought law school was awful and hard and grueling, but this sounds fun. It's like work hard, play hard. Like this is my thing. So what's funny about that too is, so after, you know, after I read Quit Like a Woman and decided to get sober, um, this is fast forwarding for a second, but I listened to the Huberman Lab Oof. podcast, yeah. the 2022 alcohol podcast. Yes, August. I'm is it like with, August 18th or something? Yes. We'll, we'll link it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone needs but, to listen to that episode. Yeah. So he talks about how people who are like, genetically predisposed towards like alcohol use disorder. Um, they have a genetic variant when they drink like past three, four drinks or so that they will start to get amped up and excited and energized and like, go, 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 rah, 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 two in the morning. Whereas the people who are like the take it or leave it drinkers, yeah. like the normies, which will just are when rare. Because like, that is not, yes. no, that is not normal. Yes. That is, we, we call those like rare unicorns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like the normies drinking who don't have this like genetic yeah. predisposition or whatever will just get tired once they hit three to four drinks and they're like over it. They're feeling the come down and they're just like, they're on the downward slope. Mm -hmm. But it just made me laugh so hard when I heard that because like that was my drinking. I was like dancing at the bar till closing, rah, rah, rah. Yeah, like, you were like, I could keep you know, going. Singing. Yes. It was fun. And honestly, like when I look back at those law school and those uh, drinking in my 20s, like it was fun and it was social and it was occasional once or twice a week. And 
you know, maybe a little bit bingy, like three to four drinks early in the night, and then I drink a ton of water and eat and be okay. But it, I didn't think about it. Like it didn't take up space during the week. It wasn't something I thought about. It was just like, you're socializing. This is what you do. Totally. That so sounds like my college. Mm-hmm. So that was my law school experience. Um, and then I got married near the end of law school. My husband and I moved to North Carolina for his job. And I had always been this person who had like five-year plans. Like ever since I went through that really dark depression period, I was like, I am going to hit this goal, this goal, this goal. And so my five-year plan at that time was like, graduate law school at 27, check, like get married at 27, check. And my next thing was, okay, I'm getting close to 30. I need to have my first kid. Like I need to have a baby. Okay. Yes. That was like, that was like on the list. Do you watch, wait, do you watch Bravo at all? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. You do, right? Cause you always comment yes. on the things, right? Okay. It reminds yeah. me of, it reminds me of Lindsay from Summer House. You know, like yeah. remember when she had her list and she's like, yes. like this, I will exactly. have this. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. like it, yes. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a list person like that anymore. Okay. But okay. I was. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I was. So this is why I don't do plans anymore like this. So I was like, I'm going to do the baby at 30. That's what I'm doing. And I got pregnant. I was like, we're right on schedule. All right. We're good. I found out I was pregnant with boy-girl twins. And I was like, this is working perfectly in my five-year plan. I'll have my two babies. Like, I'll, you know, be done. Take one maternity leave. I only ever wanted a boy and a girl. And then at 23 weeks, I gave birth to my twins. Mm. Yeah. So they don't know exactly what happened. They're like, twins are high risk. Sometimes this just happens. I didn't have any like pre-existing conditions. I remember like they were trying to stop the labor and they couldn't. And I, my son came naturally silent. My daughter mm. came C-section. I remember the doctor like coming around the curtain being like, do you want to revive your twins? And I just looked at my husband and we were just both like, yes, like do it. And we had no idea like what we were getting into. Um, my son lived for three days, mm-hmm. Connor, he passed after three days. And then my daughter fought to live for nine months mm-hmm. in the NICU. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. It was just a waking nightmare. I had no conceptualization of what, that was like having a micropremie. Like micropremie is under 26 weeks or under two pounds. And it's like less than 1% of babies are born that early. And I mean, she was just, she was a fetus on a ventilator, nonstop alarms, heart rate, oxygen all the time, um, blood transfusion, surgeries, septic infections. It was like day to day. We did not know if, she would live. I, and I felt a lot of guilt too about saying that I wanted to revive her because, um, you know, they told us they had about a 30% chance of survival. And um, I felt a lot of guilt because I was like, 
was this selfish of me to make her live when she just like wasn't even meant for this world you know like I just condemned her to suffer for months and she's just Mm. not even gonna make it oh I know there's and there's like nothing I can say you know to like I feel like just hearing your story first of all like what you've been through I'm just so incredibly sorry and the heartbreak you know yeah it feels to me like hearing that like that that was your first decision as a mom. And like, I can't imagine as a mom not yeah. making that decision. They want to revive your baby. Like, there, yeah. there's no other answer, right? Yeah. Like, of course, that's in you. Like, that's just, yeah. So, yes. Ugh. And like, there just really, there wasn't even time to like mourn my son, really, because it was just like this daily battle of, we get called in the middle of the night sometimes, like to come to the hospital because they didn't know if she'd make it till tomorrow. And just every day was just this daily fight for life. I mean, for months. You know, I, I remember when she was like four and a half months old or so, and I didn't hold her. I couldn't hold her for the first two months because <sighs> she was so medically fragile. So when she was four and a half months, her breathing finally was like getting close to stabilizing. The doctors were finally being like, we think she's going to make it. We just need to get her stable enough. And that took another four and a half months. I remember looking at her and just telling my husband, like, I just, I don't care what she wants to do in life. I don't care if she want, goes to college, doesn't go to college. She wants to be a hairdresser, like whatever. I just want her to live to come home and to be happy. Mm -hmm. That's all I want Mm -hmm. is for her to be happy. And so like, I kind of just remember resolving that and feeling like it was going to happen. I also told her she had a timeline. She needed to come home by my 30th birthday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I promised her we'd take her to Disney world if she ever came home and you know, all these things. So as you can imagine, like day to day, was just trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'd go home and this like sometime during this time is when I would go home and start my like nightly drinking. Like I'd start my two glasses of wine and you know, I didn't drink much, but it eventually just became every single night to kind of numb out or escape or self-medicate, not feel like this horror yeah. that I was like, was my life with, you know? So She finally did come home at nine months old. She came home on my 30th birthday. So she came home, like this little miracle. She was one pound, seven ounces when she was born. She came home. um, She was still very tiny, but she um, was on oxygen for 13 months. She was on an NG feeding tube, like kind of attached to her face that went down her nose for 18 months. Um, she had all kinds of like a formula pump, um, diuretics, all kinds of medications. She didn't walk till she was two and a half, didn't speak till she was three. So when she came home, she, um, the doctors told me if she gets sick at any point within her first three years of life, she's going to end up back in the hospital because her lungs are so damaged. Oh, I was like, oh. That's, yeah. No preschool, like no daycare, no, like we're not doing any of that. I'm not going to like 
send my kid out and go to work and be like, good luck. You're going to go to the hospital. But yeah, because that's all they do in the first three years is, yeah, is get, get sick. sick. Yeah, yeah. So she was literally in a bubble. Like I would put her oxygen tank under the stroller and we'd go out in public. And even if it was 90 degrees, degrees and sunny, I would have a plastic, like those clear weather shields for rain, I'd have it around her so nobody could breathe on her. She was like literally a bubble girl for several years. And she got all the therapies at home, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, feeding therapy, all the things. And I worked with her all the time trying to eat by mouth, trying to do all these things. She's 11 now, but she still gets different services um, through school and therapies. So, you know, she still has some special needs, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just, we decided at some point to like have another baby Mm -hmm. and we like, didn't know for sure whether I could even carry another baby to term, but, um, I did. And I had my son Parker was born full term, 39 and a half weeks, giant nine pound, four ounce baby. Yeah. the total reverse. Yeah. He was just this wild, loud, intense, like over the top kid. So yeah, when he, he was a baby toddler, I think I really, that's when I really sort of settled into my like religiously two drinks a night. I'm all in on this mommy wine culture. We drink wine to cope. Like life is stressful. Mom life is stressful. And like, this is what we do. And I had the coasters. I had the tea towels. I had the coffee mug. There may be wine in here. I had like all the crap. (laughs) Yes. I was like hook, line and sinker. I was in. I remember like there being this really clarifying moment, maybe around 2016 where like I buy this crap as gifts for people. And I remember I got my friend a coffee tumbler that said there may be booze in here. And then the next week I went over to her house and she was like, Oh, I love the tumbler. I'm like, got my coffee and then I'm like putting some Baileys in it in the morning, you know, as I drive the kids to school to take it with me, you know, dropping the kids off at drop off. And I was like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that was a joke. Like, yeah. Like even I know they call it wine o'clock because it's like five o'clock. Like I know when that is like, we don't start till then. And like driving and drinking and right. Yes. And so, but, but that's what it, what it does, right? It gives you permission. Like this mommy wine culture crap gives people permission to have this problematic drinking. Yeah. while other people are like, oh, it's funny. Then some people are like, no, this is fine. Cause all the crap mommy wine culture crap says it's fine. Right. And it's not only fine, it's like encouraged. It's like, no, 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 this is yes. obviously essential and we're going to encourage it. And it separates this like, I mean, horribly addictive, dangerous drug from reality. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. This isn't. This isn't that. Like, this isn't a brown paper bag. This is a tumbler, you guys. Like, this is. Yeah, it's cute and it's funny, and there's nothing mm-hmm. to see, right? And you like not knowing too, right? Like, you're just like, oh, isn't this like cute and cheeky and kind of irreverent? And then she's like, no, this is actually like a permission slip. Yes. And then, and both of you are not, you can just so see none of it's malicious. Yeah. 
Like, did, like I had my permission slip. I would have on my one o'clock tea towels and stuff, and I'd be like, "Yeah, it's one o'clock. It's five o'clock." Yeah, it's like you just got the time wrong. We don't, and we don't try <laughs> to do that. Right, right, right. You're like, wait, wait. wait. Well, <laughs> no, it's cool at five, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you don't have to drive that in your home. <laughs> right, but yeah. So that was the first time I really stopped and went, huh? Is that was probably about 2016. And then I had my twins. I had twins again just spontaneously and like who does yeah really and they came full term it was terrifying because they told me the first ones came early because they were twins but oh, they just my they god. were full term so you had twins again oh my god really yes. and just naturally oh wow and that had to be terrifying it was terrifying oh yeah and that's when like my whole living in the moment day to day like we're not gonna plan far out we're not gonna yeah. think about that we're just going to go with what's in front of us. So I definitely did that. And, you know, and then they, I, they were born and suddenly I had four under five. Oh my God. And I like be going through Target with my double stroller of the infants and like two toddlers in tow. And people would stop and be like, gosh, how do you do that? Or like, it's the South. So they'd be like, bless your heart. Right. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> bless your heart. Yes. Or like, wow, do you have your hands full? And you're like, thanks. Yes, yeah, like, do you have your hands full? Yeah. That was another one. Yeah, how'd you do that? I'm like, well, my, my nightly wine. Like, I didn't say that, but. Right. I think your story highlights so much, like, the why. Like, you can just so, I can so understand, right? Like, when mm -hmm. you're going through that, like, traumatic thing with your twins. And then, like, it's just so much to feel and to, like, cope with. And like, of course, like the wine makes so much sense and it comes in really handy because like right. if you feel like you don't even have the capacity, like you couldn't, there's just not time, right? And there's just not, when there's not time to like feel and even figure out how you feel, not even to mention what you need, like you're like, you think I have the luxury of feeling what I feel and then figuring out what I need? Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how much... That, no. That's a luxury, right? Yeah. And like one I was treading water. Yes. Yeah. You're just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I hope that you can have such compassion for yourself in that, like where you're turning to wine. Because yes. when everyone's telling you that that's mm -hmm. the answer, of course. Mm -hmm. Like it just it's just of course, right? Yeah. And it's heart healthy, Suzanne. Right. You right. That French study in the seventies, you guys. The science that said it was heart healthy. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say when I when it really started to be like when I entered the moderation mental gymnastics championship. Yeah. And I was gonna win. Yeah. Like, I was like, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna slay. Yes. This is like the sweet spot for me to talk about because like it's I can feel it. The shame that comes and the mental gymnastics yes. and like the the exhaustion of it. The wine glass measuring cup. Yes. Because I was gonna drink responsibly. Keep it at two drinks. And I did, but I knew that doing it every single night, I didn't like having to need it. I wanted to want it. Right. Like I would go to pick my kids up from school and I would be so excited because I'd be like, yes, it's only it's four o'clock. It's only one more hour till one o'clock. Yes. Like I get to drink and unwind from all the stress. This is great. It's almost here. And I was, I just found myself looking forward to it, thinking about it. I was like, okay, this isn't good. 
So we're going to do the moderation. Yeah. So then I was like, all right, we're only going to drink with days of the week that start with the letter T. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try like weekends. Nope. And I was like, well, maybe just weekends, maybe every other day. I kept trying, yeah. kept trying, and it failed over and over again. And when you fail, then I get in this negative self-talk, like, what's wrong with me? Why can I do that? Why did I fail? And it fails. I just want to point out. It fails because it's highly addictive, right? It's, highly it's just hi- it's just literally science, yes. right? And moderating a highly addictive substance is really fucking hard, and it takes constant willpower. Yes, I was white knuckling the two drinks a night. I'm like, because I know the natural progression is you drink more and more and more as your tolerance goes up, and that's what I always hear in like sober stories. But like, I was like holding on tight to that two drinks a night. And what would happen is I would hit my tolerance. I'd hit it and I'd be like, well, I don't feel anything. I'm like, that sucks, but we'll try again tomorrow. Maybe I'll switch it up and do red wine instead of white wine or like white claw instead of red wine. Yes. We'll, we'll just try again and do better tomorrow and get that, get that buzz. Right. <laughs> that sort of release valve that I need. It's like, you know, that meme where it's like the, the woman like looking and it's all the equations, you know, and it's like all that, you know, it's that where you're like, surely there has to be a way. The answer is not that I'm an, I'm addicted to an addictive substance, but there's gotta Mm -mm. be a way like, and and when you said like, I didn't want to need it, I just wanted to want it. And that's so Mm -hmm. how it is with any addictive substance, you do it when you want it. And then turns out then you need it. And the thing about alcohol, it's like no one would look at you, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. at this time in your life and be like, oh, well, yeah, is addicted to alcohol, right? And you wouldn't right. be like, well, yeah, I'm addicted no. to alcohol. I hadn't been drunk in a decade. Right. How are you going to be like, she's a drunk. She needs to go and call herself an alcoholic and go to AA. Like, Right. How? You're like, that's not – no, no, no. But there's such a difference, right? Because you were – Addicted to alcohol. Like that's just oh, yeah. that's anyone who's continually drinking. I ad- thought about it all the time during the day. It just took up a lot of mental space. Yes. Right. And even though you were moderating successfully, like what toll did that take on you? Right? Yeah. The negative self-talk, the failing at moderation, all the times I'd swear it off, I'd be like, that's the last bottle. And then I'd end up right back in the target aisle, just going through the target aisle. And I'd look and be like, the wine aisle and I'd be like, mm, I don't really have a problem. Like it's just two drinks and it's not that bad and everybody does it. So I'll just put the wine in my cart. And then it was just this rinse and repeat. Like this, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want, like I knew something was wrong. I had this nagging feeling. It wasn't like my um, law school days where, or like my college days where it was just like fun on the weekends, socially, occasionally it was like, I had to have it. Right. And it took up too much space. And that you could stop at too. Like this, I think is very important. Like you said, you hadn't been drunk in 10 years. Like this wasn't, right? because this isn't like what we've been taught. Like don't look at this until you're here or whatever, whatever the, the finish line is to this, right? You yes. just got to the point when you were like, oh, wait, I'm looking forward to this too much. And I'm struggling to go, you know, a length of time without it. Oh, okay. What does that mean? Yes. Like what, what did that point come? When did that come for you that you were like, huh? So the, and the thing about the two drinks too, let me tell you this. I 
landed on two drinks because I'm a rule follower and I looked up the U.S. dietary guidelines and it was one drink for a woman, two drinks for a man. And I was like, that's just sexism. Like that's just the patriarchy (laughs) trying to hold us back. I can't think of any good reason that men would get two drinks and women only get one. What is this garbage? This is amazing. You're like, I'm a feminist. You think I'm going to follow this? No, no, no. (laughs) For women's rights equality. Yes. And I learned later that it's actually science because women have more fat, um, which holds alcohol, and less water, which dilutes alcohol, and then less metabolic enzyme, which processes the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So there's like a faster slide into alcohol use disorder and liver disease and heart disease and all these other things. So it's actually science, but I thought it was just a patriarchy. Yes. Which is such a great example of like, I mean, that is the addicted brain, even though you weren't, when I say addicted, you weren't like, it It wasn't that, yeah. but it is something that you're like trying to protect to be like, no, yes. no, 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 obviously. Don't touch this. Yes. And who would come and say, oh, you at your two, mar- like two drinks a night. Yeah. No one, right. Even for a no doctor, one. like even if you told a doctor, they would be like, oh yeah, nothing to see. Well, yes. like, whatever. You know, when does you drink tonight? That's moderate. My doctors were like, meh. And like, well, is it affecting anything? Like, you're like, no, I still can do all the things I need to do. Right. And then inside. It was screaming. Yes. It was like, no, 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 no. Yes. So it finally came a time. Okay. I forgot. I left this part out. My husband um, is a PhD in neurobiology and he like literally did his dissertation on this, on the effects of alcohol, like ethanol on the reward system and neurotransmitters in the brain. What? So it's literally he had a PhD in this. He has a PhD in this. Wait, so he does he drink? No. And that and I was like, were you studying me all those years? <laughs> oh my god. No, he doesn't drink. And he used to in college, but he told me recently, he was like, Haley, alcohol is such a dirty drug. Like it Ooh. gets into every system in the body. It affects cells everywhere. Like I saw that. I didn't want to do it anymore. And so, like, he'd have a beer here or there, but he hasn't drank in at all in six years. Wow. Okay, so you were living with the expert. Yes, and he would send me articles regularly about what was happening. I'd be like, but I found on Google this, like, study from the 90s saying that it was heart-healthy and, like, <laughs> people live slightly longer and there's this J-curve, so I'm pretty sure I'm fine. Okay, cool. Bye. Right. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yes. You just weren't ready, right? I was not ready. And then when I started to get ready, it was in 2023, he sent me the article that was from when the WHO came out and said, no amount of alcohol is safe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, then what were y'all saying all those years about how it was heart healthy? You're like, why didn't anybody tell me this? And he's like, I have been trying to. <laughs> Yeah, and John's like, I've been sending you the studies. It's like, but you're not the WHO. Like, <laughs> but you're my husband. What do you know? I think you are. Yeah, you have a PhD in this. What do you know? Yeah, what do you know? Oh, well, that's hilarious. So yes. then, did you stop then, or was it just no. a building? Okay, no, it was that just was a- the build up. So I saw that, and I was like, well, okay, and I, hmm. Well, but it's the WHO. The U.S. dietary guidelines are still saying one to two drinks. And so I'm going to go, like, I'm just going to keep going with this. 
What's funny is also around that time, the Canadian guidelines came out. Their limit went from 15 drinks a week for men, 10 for women, down to two drinks max per week. Because yes. they actually followed the science that the WHO was following. Yes, imagine that. And I was like, hmm, hmm. yeah, scientists following you're like, science. You're like, so but weird. we don't live in Canada. Yeah, we're not Canadians. <laughs> I'm an American. I can handle my two drinks a night. <laughs> so, yeah, I kept drinking like this. But I was... I was thinking about it, more rules, more moderation, more failing at those rules. But things finally came to a head. In June, my uncle passed away and this past June. And um, my dad was there. And I just remember my cousin calling me sobbing because it was her dad and we're really mm. close. And it was really hard. And what I didn't mention before, but I, I had a few days a year, maybe like two that were, I call the effort days where mm. just like effort, I'm not going to keep track. Like we're at a family party. I'm not going to keep track. And I still would never get drunk, but maybe instead of two, it was like three to four. Mm -hmm. And I also did that on the anniversary every year of my son's death. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is too hard. Like effort, I'm going to just drink what I want. So I had an effort day when my uncle passed and that turned into an effort two days because I got one of those big one and a half liter bottles of wine. And I remember my husband looking in the fridge and looking at me and going, did you just drink two bottles of wine over two days? I was like, no, that's 1.5 liters. It's only 1.5 bottles of wine. <laughs> that's not true. I Googled it later. It's two. Yeah. So um, when I realized that, I was like, Ooh, okay. That was not good. I was like, let's get the train back on the tracks. I went back to my two drinks tonight, but I was like, you know what? Like, we need to take a look at this. And like in the past, whenever I have a problem or something that's bothering me, um, you know, I read like a hundred books a year. So I like read my way out of things. So I've read books on parenting and anxiety and, you know, self-help, all the Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle. And I was always like, I remember always thinking when they got to the part about their sobriety, I was like, that's so sad for them. That sounds so boring. Yeah. Like, I did too. Yeah, that's not me. I don't have that problem. Like, I'm good. Right. I remember Brene Brown being like, sobriety is my superpower. And I would be like, oh, it's so sad that she has to tell herself that so that she feels good about it. And now I'm like, wait, Brene Brown was right? Who knew? I know. I know. I just, we, you know, we weren't ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. So I went and I checked out a book from the library immediately, Drink by Ann Dalsett. And that was amazing. And that like kind of got me started and I started thinking about it. But I was like, still, like, I don't drink like her. She was getting drunk. Yeah. And, like she's super successful, but like I could still draw that line of like, that's This isn't me. me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then. I got off the hold wait list. There's always a hold for this book for quit like a woman. And I started listening to that book. Oh my gosh, that book blew my world. It just blew up all my faulty perceptions, this whole notion that it's black and white. You're either like us normies on one side or the alcoholics on the other. And if you're not one, you're the other and there's nothing in between. And I was listening to that and I was so angry. I was so freaking angry because that, you know, what, what she was talking about with the science and how it causes cancer, how it 
messes with your sleep and your stress levels and just messes with everything. And I was angry about that, but I was still like, okay, those are kind of all still maybe someday problems. But then I got to the part where she talked about the burst blood vessels around your nose, like the burst capillaries around your nose from drinking. Yeah. And I was like, shut the front door. Like I have that right now. I was like, from two drinks a night? And I was, you know, when they present the science, they always make it sound like if you're an alcoholic and you're getting drunk all the time and you're, you know, but like moderate drinking, the drinking within, you know, ish guidelines, not even getting drunk, you have these problems. And I had no idea. Right. If you're not, if you're not drinking to get drunk, you know, if you can't exactly tie your like bad sleep to alcohol or anxiety, if there's not this straight line, it can be hard to make the correlation, right? And so an actual like physical symptom that you can to see. see yes. Yeah. I mean, like this isn't a hypothetical cancer chance. Like I can't on. see this my like, liver, right? Like I can't, right. I don't know my liver enzymes. Like I don't get those tested. Right. And so like it's yes. easy just to be like, yeah, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But yes, where you can actually see. Yes. And if that, then what else? Mm. That was where I went. Yes. And so then, you know, as angry as alcohol industry tricked us, our government and the society isn't protecting us. Yeah. And, you know, I was just, I was furious. I was finishing the book, getting near the end. And I went to my mom's house in Austin. We were visiting there and she was having a family party and she got out the good champagne. And I'm like starting to think, I don't know if I want to drink anymore. I think I might really been, be done even though I've sworn it off a million times before. Mm -hmm. So she brings out the good stuff and it's pink and sparkly and she's refilling our glasses and I'm drinking it. And my son looks and goes, Gammy, he was nine. He looks at her and goes, Gammy, can I have some? And in my head, I just, it was like this, like lying down the middle of my life. And in my head, I just screamed like, no. Mm. No, like that was also, he had asked about that several times, seeing me drink at home. Like he'd seen me be stressed. He'd seen me pour a glass or two of wine and relax and be happy, friendly, mommy. And so he was saying that and it just all kind of like clicked together. Like, no, I do not want to model this for my kid anymore. Yeah. So, and then I looked down at my full glass and was like, well, I can't waste the good stuff. So I had to finish the glass, but <laughs> yeah. I mean- <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I finished it and I was like, after this, like, John, this is it. I'm never drinking again after this. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, you've said that before. Sure. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I mean, I finished that book and I was so enraged. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was it. I was done. And, you know, since then I've like, done these deep dives, you know, I went on to deep dive down the sober Instagram rabbit hole. And like, I took that red pill and just went all in. Isn't it crazy? Like, you're like, oh my God, I had no idea this world exists. And there's so much like, it's like once you're plugged in, then it's like, oh, holy shit, the blinders come off. No idea. Yeah. And like, I was before, like I said, all the information that I learned and I kept Googling articles and I like actually started reading the science my husband had been sending me for years. Yes. And I was like, holy smokes, 
does nobody know this? And even at the low levels, like if you listen to the Huberman Lab podcast, he talks about all these risk factors and it's not binge drinking. It's one to two drinks a night, just regular drinking that it creates all this risk. But yeah, what I noticed after a few weeks is that, wow, suddenly it wasn't just the redness around my nose that disappeared. It was the insomnia I had been dealing with for years where I'd wake up at two in the morning and I'd be anxious. I'd be awake for like two hours. I couldn't fall back asleep. And then I'd finally fall back asleep, but I'd be exhausted all the next day and chugging coffee, chugging coffee that I need to come down. So I drink the wine to come down. Yep. I had no idea that alcohol, even one to two glasses a night, disrupts REM sleep. And how tired we are as women and moms. Like we're so tired. We need sleep. Yes. And the sleep that we do get is shit if we're drinking alcohol. Yes. And not even hungover. Right. Even one to two glasses. And your sleep quality um, is just worse because you're not getting into that good deep REM. And you're just more tired. Even if you don't wake up, you can just not like feel more. You can just feel exhausted when you wake up in the morning. So that's. I immediately noticed. And then the second thing I noticed is my anxiety went way down. And I thought that alcohol was making my anxiety, was treating my anxiety. That's what I I drank it every night because I was so stressed out. Yeah. I had no idea that it was actually causing my like baseline cortisol to go up round the clock even when I wasn't drinking. And like drops in your serotonin, dopamine, all the good stuff. Yes. Even when you weren't drinking. Yes. Yeah. Even when you're not drinking. That if you're habitually drinking like seven drinks or more a week, your baseline cortisol is just higher and you're just feeling more anxiety on a daily basis because of the alcohol. Like the alcohol makes you feel calm and, you know, nice for a little while it calms that anxiety for, you know, while you're drinking it, but then it does the opposite. Yes. I had no idea. And I'm just still so angry that nobody told me anything. Yes. Except, except your for husband. my husband. But yeah, except he, he doesn't know count. what he was talking about. There was this study. Um, I have it also, all the stuff in my highlights on my Instagram profile. I have like all the articles and things I found and quit Oh, good. Okay. I'm going yeah, there. Okay. To highlights. We're all going to Haley's highlights. Yeah, there was a study this summer where they came out and said since when they looked at 2018 to 2020, women's death rate, annual death rate from alcohol is increasing 15% each year, like even taking out the pandemic year that is going up by 15%, whereas men were only about 12% Mm. going up. And when you look at um, the timelines before that, like 1997 to 2007, it was only increasing 1%. 2007 to 2018, it was increasing about 4%. And now it's 15% annual death rate from alcohol for women. So I mean, that was that alcohol industry coming in and being like, we got to change our demographic, we got to market to the women because we tapped out the men. Yeah, because the men are already are like dying from alcohol. So like, yeah, we got it. We need more. We need more consumers, guys. Saturated that market. Yes. It makes me so mad. I know. So, um, and there's this other great article I just have to throw in. Um, It's this article in Slate, and it basically talks about debunking the whole heart healthy, all of those studies, all the studies saying that alcohol made you makes you live longer. They basically went back and looked at all those studies that 
showed moderate drinkers to like live longer or have less heart disease. And they found that when they removed the sick quitters, like people who had quit because they had been alcoholics previously or had some sort of medical condition, that that benefit went away. Yes. And now like literally everybody, the American Cancer Society, World Heart Federation, WHO, every scientist or doctor is like any amount of alcohol is bad. For cancer, for your heart. That that whole J card, yes, it completely disappears because they're looking at the people who were very heavy drinkers and were forced to quit alcohol. That's who is in right. the study. Yes. Yeah. They didn't take them out. No, I know. I know. But that's why a lot of us still hold on to that heart healthy. And that French alcohol. paradox study from like literally yes. the 70s that, that he came out and said, like, no, this actually that's been debunked for decades. It talks about that. Yes. Yeah, because they had a Mediterranean lifestyle yeah. and they weren't accounting for lifestyle. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they, it's bananas. They... Haley, I'm just so thankful that you came on here. Thank you. Tell everybody where we can find you. I'm going to link everything in the show notes. You can find me at H Conroy Books. And I like to share stuff about all of the first in my sobriety and my stories. And I have a whole highlight with all of that and all the articles and nerdy stuff I like to Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.